Ms. Joe and uh, Hal are going to hand those out for me. You're going to have to bear with me this morning. I am dealing with a cold that I think I brought back from Disney with me. So you can thank the mouse for that. Yeah. Wore me out. That's what it did. We'll pick up on lesson three this morning. I'd like to uh, let everybody know, Ivan Skaliba from uh, Ivano Frankisk, Ukraine is with us this morning. And uh, he is going to be here. He's standing up there. And I would love for you all to meet him while he is here. It's one of the missionary works that we oversee here at Dalreda. And uh, Tanya Zosalina is with him as his interpreter. Uh, he speaks a little bit of English. Uh, and uh, so if you try to speak to him, uh, he may need Tanya there to assist him. So just keep that in mind if you do uh, speak with him. But uh, we're thankful and glad they were able to be with us this morning. They'll be meeting with the mission committee this afternoon at 3 o'clock while they're here. And we're just excited about the work over there and all the good things that they're doing in Ivano Frankisk. <clears throat> Handouts are coming around and uh, we'll start on lesson three in here in a moment. Uh, any announcements or prayer requests this morning? All right, I see no hands. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Please bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for another day that we can gather together and be a part of your body here at Dalreda. God, we ask that you please be with us as we continue our study into your spirit, as we open up your word and discover what all it has to say about all the things that he does for us or did for us in the past and continues to do today. God, we are thankful for all that you are, all of your love, all of your care, your concern. God, we're thankful for your incredible knowledge and your planning, your wisdom to be able to provide for us as we live on this earth, waiting your son to come back again. God, we ask you to be with the church and the congregation here at Dalreda as we worship and as we work in our community. Please help us to be challenged to go outside the wire, to reach out to those who are unknowing, those who don't know you, who don't know your church. Help teach them if possible. And God, show them your love and your mercy and your compassion so they'll want to be a part of your body. God, more than anything, we are thankful for Jesus, for him dying on the cross for our sins. We're thankful for you sending his, your son to die on the cross for us uh, and give us that chance for eternal life one day. And it's through his name that we pray. Amen. Yes. Okay. So uh, ask to remember Terry Clonch in our prayers, and he, he is continuing to struggle with a mass that is grown. It's a benign mass. It is not cancerous, but it is a, a mass that has grown around his, you said, intestines. So they're trying to um, unravel that so that it will not affect him. He is. Terry Clonch is the, the preacher at Grandview Pines. So if y'all remember that, we've announced it a couple of times that he'd gone, undergone some procedures. So please remember Terry in your prayers. I appreciate Scott taking class last week. Um, I, I, 
I listened to it as I traveled back from Florida. And uh, I tell you, I think I could listen to Scott for hours. He's just so excited and energetic. You know, Melvin, he just gets into those lessons. And uh, he doesn't really cover everything that I ask him to cover. But, you know, that's, that's what uh, Scott does. Um, he covered a lot of good stuff. And the good thing is um, he did go over, I hope. And if you had any questions about last, uh, the lesson two that he was finishing up last week, please let me know. I know there's some blanks in those handouts. If you have any questions about that, let me know. But I greatly appreciate his lesson. He did a superb job. If you missed that, it was recorded on audio, so you can download and listen to that or request a CD of that lesson. Uh, he really gave you a foretaste of next week a little bit because we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament next week. And he really got into John 14 through 16, John 17, those passages in the New Testament that really focus on the Holy Spirit and looking at the context of that in the New Testament. So he gave you a little bit of a foretaste of that and a little foreshadowing of some other discussions and things to come and a lot of the, the good comments and the, the study that he brought last week. But I greatly appreciate him filling in for me. Um, I did uh, have a spring break trip. We did spend too much money, just as Scott said in his lesson. I would. Thankfully, though, and Kelly, you're, I see you back there. Uh, we, we got more than three rides in, thankfully, when we went to the park. So that was a good thing. They got these things called fast passes. And me and Monica, you know, we're the planners. And so we planned not just the area, but also the fast passes to make sure we get as many things as we could squeezed in there. That was good. We got a lot of rides in, uh, a lot of shows, but uh, we were exhausted, and we're still exhausted. And uh, we were glad to be home. It's glad to be back with y'all uh, this Sunday. Bring greetings to you from the Main Gate uh, Church of Christ that meets there off of uh, the, the, the uh, campus there of Disney. Uh, they meet every Sunday morning there together. And it's so, it's so fun. You go there, and it's kind of like Gatlinburg, if you ever go to Gatlinburg, too. You go there on visits, and you always see somebody you know or knows you. And this time I saw people who knew me and my father before I even knew them because they were from St. Louis back when I was a kid. And it's so fun to go and see brethren from all over the United States and worship with them and just kind of enjoy that fellowship, and we enjoy that on Sunday. The Holy Spirit. As you think about the idea of moving here from the foundational study of the Holy Spirit being a personality, being a person, not just a thing or an it, we want to kind of transition to kind of an overview of the, the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures uh, before we get into some more the more detailed and questions that you have about the Spirit, such as the indwelling and those kind of things. I don't want to get into that, the, the, the weeds too much on that in these superficial beginning lessons. And I realize these are kind of broad strokes that we're painting with here as we begin our study here in the new, in the, of the Holy Spirit. But as we look at this lesson, what I want to do is look at the, the Holy Spirit and the Old Testament and kind of just consider uh, how he is uh, talked about, what he does, uh, you know, what mentions are made of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, so that uh, we will kind of have an idea maybe of that historical uh, reference point, kind of moving forward. Scott made an excellent point in his lesson last week, the idea that the context of scriptures that talk about the Holy Spirit are very important to take into consideration whenever you think about this. You can't necessarily apply a scripture that talks about the Spirit and what the Spirit did say in John chapter 16 exactly to what the Spirit may do to us today because the times are different. And there are different purposes, there are different missions, there are different reasons for the, the, the Spirit to do certain things or not to do certain things. Uh, when you kind of look at the overall uh, picture of the Scripture and its application to us in our lives. The same thing with regard to the, the Old Testament. And if you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament gives us somewhat of a small snapshot as to what the Spirit did in the past 
and possibly gives us an idea of what could be done or, or how the Spirit may act in some respects uh, today, uh, even through the, through the Word of God as, as the Spirit acts through the living Word of God. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And it is a living, uh, breathing type of an influence on our lives, at least it should be. And that's because the Spirit inspired the Word of God to be applicable and to challenge and to teach us and to encourage us in our lives. So when you think about the Spirit's impact on us today, in many ways that the Spirit acted in the Old Testament still occurs today, maybe not in the exact way, but there is a parallel there with regard to how it may strengthen us or how it may support us, how it may encourage us. Uh, those same examples and explanations could be applied even today as we think about the Spirit's influence through the Word of God that, he in, uh, that God inspired through the Spirit of God. So think about the Old Testament for a moment. Most of us would think and look at it, if you look at the, the big picture of the Bible, there is much less said in the Old Testament than the New Testament about the Spirit. In fact, if you look at the Scriptures and if you look at uh, what all is done in, in the Scriptures uh, in the Old Testament, the Spirit in one way or another, is mentioned around 88 times, depending on which version of the Bible you may have. The ASV has about 88 times that it is mentioned uh, in the Old Testament uh, specifically. Uh, and then there are also, when you look at the books, it's, it's found in 23 books. It is missing in 16 books. I'm not going to give you the breakdown on that right now, but that's just the overall snapshot of the Old Testament, where the Spirit is specifically mentioned in 23 of the Old Testament books uh, by the writers there. It is called by different names. Uh, he is called the Spirit. He is called the Spirit of God. He is called the Spirit of the Lord. He is called the Spirit of Jehovah. He is called the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe at least three times that phrase specifically is used in the text to talk about the Spirit of God. And so you see several different mentionings there of the Spirit and the ways uh, that the Spirit actually um, is is talked about or referred to. And we'll get a little bit deeper as we get into this as to which ways he's mentioned. But just kind of as an overview there, over 80 times. Now, as a comparison, the Spirit is mentioned three times more in the New Testament than the Old Testament. So go ahead and take that, that number, about 80 times three, if my math is correct, it's going to be over 240, 250 times that the Spirit is mentioned specifically in the New Testament. So you see the comparison there. So someone were to do just a basic word search or word study in the New, in the new and the Old Testament, you're going to see a comparative uh, balance there where it is mentioned, uh, the, the Spirit is mentioned more in the New Testament than the Old Testament. So uh, some people look at that and kind of make questions about it. They ask questions. They may even make arguments of whether it, he was important in the Old Testament as he is important in the New Testament. And so you see a lot of that going back and forth among those who are considered scholars among the religious world and religious circles. Uh, with re reference to what we just spoke about also, if you look at the scriptures, the Old Testament actually identifies uh, the Spirit as a separate person. We talked about that in our le last lesson, the idea of three persons, three distinctive personalities and the one being God. And you see in the Old Testament, he also is referred to as being distinctive and separate, uh, at least in one passage very specifically, but also by just the way that he works. If you look in Isaiah chapter 48, verses 12 through 16, you'll see this specific reference where it is delineated between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here in Isaiah chapter 48. It says, listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel whom I called, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. 
When I call to them, they stand together, assemble all of you, and listen who among them has declared these things. The Lord loves him. He will carry out his good pleasure on Babylon, and his arm will be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him, I have brought him, and he will make his ways successful. Uh, he, come near to me, listen to this. From the first, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. And you see that last verse, I've highlighted the three different delineations there. This passage of scripture seems to indicate being spoken by the Son uh, with respect to the parallels there, maybe with regard to prophecy. And I'm not going to get into Isaiah 48 at this point in time. But when you see that last verse there, verse 16, you see a delineation there, the idea that the Lord God, some versions may say Lord Jehovah, depending on which version you're talking about, would indicate the Father. That's usually a delineation of, of God the Father has sent me, so there's a separate distinct personality being sent, that would be arguably God the Son, and His Spirit. So there's a separate delineation there being uh, the Spirit of God. And so you see kind of the three-in-one even in the Old Testament as you think about this idea of the Godhead or the Trinity, whatever word you want to use for that concept. Uh, but the Old Testament also teaches these things so that we'll be able to see. Now, the question really kind of come, comes and arises well, why is there less emphasis in the Old Testament on the Spirit than in the New Testament? And a lot of people have a different things to say about this. And, and uh, some people you know, are quick to point out, of course, and I think accurately and correctly, they're all three present. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to make you think that I'm trying to say that one or two or, you know, are not involved in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You can find passages of Scripture referring to all three personalities of the Godhead. But you see, obviously, when it's mentioned, when the, the Spirit is mentioned three times more in the New Testament than the Old Testament, there is a, a different emphasis, a different focus. So it kind of comes into play as to why does this occur. Now, there's several out there that kind of um, propose different arguments or different thought processes. I like the one uh, it's mentioned and, and discussed by H. Leo Bowles, and, and there's others that mention this as well. The idea that there may be what you would say three different dispensations of the Godhead that you kind of see throughout history, different focuses on their purposes, their meanings, their, uh, those things which are occurring in the world. There seems to be a different focus. Now, with, with regard to dispensations, I don't want to, I know we're getting into little higher level discussions, and I don't want to confuse you too much. Uh, with regard to it. But a dispensation is really just an era of time, uh, an epoch of time of some sort that's grouped together because of certain events or certain focuses that may occur there. You probably have heard different eras being mentioned in history class where people talk about the golden age or they talk about the um, you know, different eras of time. And they usually try to pinpoint it by certain actions or activities or individuals even that lived. You hear eras being mentioned because of who was maybe ruling at the time uh, or what empire was there, uh, you know, governing all the land. So you kind of see that. Well, with regard to this argument and with regard to this explanation here, um, the idea that there are three different dispensations of the Godhead that we see in history, I think is a good explanation as to why we may not have seen as much in the Old Testament about the Spirit as we now see in the New Testament. Look real quickly with me on this, and then obviously I'll take any comments or questions. But when you think about this, first, the first dispensation is arguably called uh, the dispensation of God the Father. And you see this time frame occurring 
from about creation to the incarnation. Uh, and the creation, of course, beginning of time, uh, when everything was created, up to the incarnation or the coming of Christ in flesh form. Uh, talked about throughout the Gospels, uh, God, the, the Son, as we see also referred to as the Word in John chapter 1, came in flesh, John chapter 1 verse 14, dwelt among men. So you see a transition there uh, of possibly the way things uh, interacted between God and man. A dispensation in this case and the Godhead dispensations really kind of help us see different periods of time how God interacted and how God was with man uh, in those different periods of time because there was a distinguishing difference between those slightly. All through time, I don't want to get you off course, but God has always been with man. And so I don't want to detract from that. However, the way God has been with man has been different. Has been different. If you look back in creation through incarnation, you saw there a direct communication between God and man, right? Think back to the Garden of Eden. You look back in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and you talk about after the creation of man, you know, God created man and Adam and Eve lived and enjoyed the wonderful bounty of the Garden of Eden. Uh, and among those verses, you see what? God did what with them? He walked with them in the garden. And he talked with them in the garden. There's a direct communication there that we don't see today. If you say that you do see it, we may need to have a conversation maybe after this, uh, if you'd like to have some study on that. But you see a different type of communication between God and man there at the creation of man. Yes, ma'am. He was, yes. And if you look, and we're going to get to that in just a second about some of the works in the Old Testament. But Genesis 1.26, when we talk about let, let, us, let, us, make God, let us make man in our image, uh, that plurality there talks about the idea that there is a, the plurality of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together involved in that creation of man. So there's no doubt about that. So there was a, a direct connection between God and man there at the very beginning. As you see that direct communication, uh, you see it kind of going on and progressing even throughout the prophetical, well, let's, let's talk about patriarchal days. Patriarchal days, you see that direct communication as well, right? Genesis chapter 17, what did God do with Abraham? He spoke to him directly. There was no intermediary there. There was no, nothing else in the middle between God and talking to Abraham. Same thing with Noah. Same thing with uh, many of the other patriarchs that we read about there in the Old Testament. And then you kind of transition to the days of the prophets and the kings and the, the idea of the judges. Uh, where there is some direct communication there between God and them, right? God spoke to Solomon. We see that directly. God spoke directly to Gideon, told him to do something. So you see that direct communication between the judges and the kings, and then moving on into the prophetical kind of overlapping there, God also used prophets. And so God would have that direct communication to the prophets, and that prophet would then communicate the will of God to the people. And he would be seen as the spokesman of God. And so you see that direct uh, prominence of that relationship of God. I would argue God the Father, that one who is being addressed usually in scriptures as Jehovah, is the one that has that authority. And so you see this dispensation of time, this epoch of time, and, and that really concentrates and focuses more on God the Father and that relationship that he has directly with man without the need or the necessity of intermediaries. Now there are 
prophets, and you can kind of argue, I guess, they are somewhat the intermediaries at some point in time, and that is true. Uh, but there's still a more direct communication line that is brought directly from man, uh, from God to man. Now, transition that to the incarnation of Christ. When Christ came on this earth, starting at his birth, well, first of all, you had the dark years, too, there, that you may have an argument that there's maybe a period there where there's no communication at all. Uh, there's still communication mostly through the prophets and, and history, so I'm going to include that with regard to that first dispensation. The incarnation of Christ, as you think about the incarnation, kind of changed that dynamic, right? God was among men, John 1.14. He dwelt among men, and so God the Son, as he took that, that role upon himself... Uh, to come to this earth, changed the relationship that God had with man in some respects, at least the way the relationship of communication occurred. Because you then see a transition from the focus of direct communication from God to man that you saw in the patriarchal, the prophetical days, to a transition of God communicating really through his son, Jesus so Jesus would be the one that was the focus of the attention. Jesus would be the one who was the focus of the message. He would be the one who had to be confirmed by miracles, right? You see that whole concept there that his meaning, his words, his teachings, his purpose, his mission was all kind of grouped and supported throughout the incarnation all the way to his death and his ascension, really, go beyond his death, his ascension uh, there, that the focus kind of lays. So from... Creation to incarnation, you see a focus on God the Father. You see then a focus on God the Son between the incarnation and the ascension, which occurred, we see in our scripture, Acts chapter 1. And then you see really Acts chapter 2 begins a new dispensation because the focus changes there again. Now we're still focused on God. Okay, we're still focused on Jesus. I don't want to detract away from that. Jesus is always the focus of our Christianity, right? That's why we're called Christians, because it's based upon Christ. And so we are based upon that. However, you see a difference in the way that God is with us at this point. God was with the patriarchs. God was with the prophets. God was with the king in a very direct way. God the Father that was there very directly um, having his finger upon everything that was done. Transitions to where God the Son. We had God the Son with us. So that, that the idea of God being with us is really through his Son during that uh, that, that dispensation of time with regard to God the Son. And then you see the, the period of time that I believe we are still in now, which, I, which should be the last period of dispensation uh, as Christians, where Christ has gone. Christ foretold us. We see that in the book of John. Uh, and, and Scott talked about that last week, the idea that he prophesied and said that he would be sending his helper, his comforter with us. Uh, after he left. So once Christ ascended, you see then the coming of the Holy Spirit in a way which allows God to be with us in a different way and fashion now. And that's the way he began all the way from after the ascension of Christ to this period now. It has been the same, uh, maybe in some different modes and fashions and forms in some ways, but the Spirit is the emphasis now. So you see kind of a change in the emphasis of, of the different dispensations as probably a good explanation as to why we see scriptures treating or referring to the Spirit differently in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because the focus on the Old Testament would have been that time period when God the Father was the focus. You see a lot of scriptures. If you were to do a word study or a word search on Jehovah or Lord God, you can't, I can't tell you how many hundreds there are. I, I didn't even do it because I know it's just going to be astronomical. Where the focus is on God, God, the Jehovah, our Father in heaven, that the focus is there in the Old Testament, but the Spirit's there. 
the Son is there. I'm not going to get into those passages this morning. But you can see God and the three personalities being present. But you then see a transition in the New Testament where the focus becomes that relationship of God being with us with His Spirit. With His Spirit. Of course, that then begs the question, well, how is He with us? We'll get to that later on in our lessons. But as you think about this point in time here, why would the Spirit be treated differently in Scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, I think this is a good explanation why. When you look at this dispensational type of uh, references uh, and the focuses that have changed over periods of time from the Old and the New Testament, you see the fact that it shifts from being God the Father to the God the Son and then ultimately to God the Holy Spirit in the New Testament so that we see that what, what God has revealed to us as being necessary for our faith and for our edification and building us up. Any comments before I move on from that? I know that's kind of a, uh, a higher level discussion, I guess, in some ways, but I don't want to get down in the weeds too much. I hope that I conveyed that kind of an idea to you enough. I think that's a good explanation as to why, because a lot of people wonder why. Why wasn't the Spirit referred to in the same way in the Old Testament and the New? I think there's a reason. Because the purposes and the missions, um, the purposes of God are different with regard to the Old and the New Testament. There's a reason why there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, <laughs> you know, many different ways. And in this way, the New Testament helps reveal the Spirit as to how He acts uh, and how He encourages us and how He is with us even today. Josh. Good point. Uh, yeah, I think there's, obviously that is a common definition of dispensation. And if you think about the idea too of how the interaction of God is dispensed or how God is with us uh, through these different eras of time, I think that kind of will give you that concept in your mind to understand that God was with us in one way uh, in the Old Testament and with his people one way there, uh, different with regard to Jesus. When Jesus was here, God the Son was with us. Uh, he was with us in one way uh, during that period of time. And then when Jesus left, God was still with us in one way or another. Uh, and this respect is the Holy Spirit, the time, the way that the Holy Spirit was with us during that period of time. Melvin, I saw your hand, brother.
right. Good, good. I hope y'all caught that or not. But he said another good, uh, another definition, alternative definition for dispensation is the idea of order, uh, the way something is or ordered or organized or arranged. And so you see that arrangement here in the scriptures of the fact, the arrangement of uh, when someone will be with us. You know, and the scriptures specifically say that uh, the Last Supper, you're right, is that Jesus said that the Spirit will come, but not till I'm gone. And in John 14 through 17, which is what I encourage you to read for next week, by the way, as a passage of Scripture, you can't help but see when he's talking to his disciples there is the fact that the Spirit's going to come, but that Spirit will not be coming until he is gone, he has left. And so you see that kind of a handoff, that transition. The baton is passed on, you know, at that time period there when Christ leaves this earth uh, for it. Now, that doesn't mean that the Spirit is not present. I don't want to nullify that at all. Because you go back and see when Jesus was baptized, what occurred at his baptism. After he was baptized, what happened? The Spirit came down in a form of a likeness of a dove. It doesn't mean he was a dove, by the way. Uh, it's a likeness or a form. That's what the scriptures kind of described him as being uh, in a form of or likeness of the dove. And then God, the Father, of course, said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so you see that the existence and the representation and the presence of all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit throughout the scriptures, but the emphasis and the way that the arrangement is made with regard to man and their relationship to God or man and their, the presence of God has changed over time. It doesn't mean God's not there. It just means the way that we approach things and the way that we are encouraged, the way that we are edified, the way that we obtain direction has changed over time. And so those things must be taken in consideration. And as we move forward in this and as we talk about the New Testament, it lays the groundwork for how the Spirit operates today. But we see historically in the Old Testament that he operated in several different ways. And I want to kind of shift our focus to that as we think about the rest of the lesson this morning. Hopefully I can get through these. I'm going to go ahead and put them all up there just because I don't want to uh, not get done this morning. Uh, because I, I hate uh, not, not getting through lessons. Uh, I feel like we're hanging over and holding over. However, good, good comments and good discussions. So I want you all to keep that up. Um, you see in the scriptures in the Old Testament that there are several different ways. In fact, I've enumerated, I believe, seven in this lesson, of ways that the Spirit works in the Old Testament. And, or worked, I guess would be a better way to use the past tense phrase, because I'm not trying to say that he necessarily works this way today. Uh, I think there are some parallels that can be made with regard to the Old Testament and New Testament operation and work of the Holy Spirit. But you see in the Old Testament, of course, about seven different ways that the Spirit is referred to as working and being a part of things. You see, first of all, you see that he was involved in working in creation. The first recorded work of the Spirit is really the first recorded work of God. And that's the creation of the world and all those things around. And so you see the, the, the concept, and we talked about Genesis chapter 1 a minute ago. It was already brought up with regard to there, verse 26. Uh, it really goes there to verse 2, the second verse of the Bible, after probably the most memorized, well, John 3.16 may be the most memorized, but Genesis 1.1 is also right up there in the top five, probably the most memorized verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you see in the second verse there, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And you see a parallel over in Job chapter 26. Um, and in Job 26, you'll see a reference to the Spirit and the work there at the beginning of creation. Um, I have verse 15 on there, but I'm almost thinking that's verse 13. Yeah, there is no 15. Um, by his breath, which Joe, I have the New American Standard Version. 
and so this word breath actually is translated commonly as spirit. So if you look at the context of, of Job 26, uh, there's a refutation or rebuking of Bildad by Job. Uh, in this section of scripture, he's talking about God, the greatness of God, and God's creative ability, and all the things that God is able to do. And you see here in verse 13, a reference to his breath, or his spirit, is another way that it's translated, I think, commonly. Uh, it says, by his breath the heavens are cleared, and his hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Uh, that phrase, I think, is very interesting there in verse 13, uh, because in fact, it's not necessarily uh, the clearing was what the New American Standard, I don't really like that word that, that's used there as a translation. I did a little look at it and compared some studies of some other versions, and in Job 26, verse 13, the idea that the ASV conveys, which I like it a lot better, at least with regard to this verse, the other these and thous of the version get a little bit much. But if you look at versions, I don't want to do a version study, but the ASV is a good literal, almost a literal translation that is probably most easily understood without being a literal translation. Um, and get into the Greek and the Hebrew, the way they put their verbs together and where, I mean, if they did a literal translation, you would have a hard time understanding any of it. So when you look at this verse, uh, the ASV translates this as actually the spirit garnished the heavens. And I like that word. Uh, most of us think about garnishing, of course, is a food. You know, when you garnish food, you kind of put some stuff on it. It's supposed to be making it look pretty. Uh, to me, you're just putting something inedible usually on the plate, and I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of that. But the idea of garnishing kind of conveys something in my mind a whole lot better than the idea of clearing. Other versions use other words and phrases. The ESV talks about that the, the heavens were made fair. I believe the NIV is very similar to that, that it was uh, something about being fair. Uh, the, as I said, the New American Standard says are cleared. The New King James Version, if you have that, talks about the, the heavens being um, adorned or ordered. No, adorned. And that kind of an idea conveys, I think, a similar uh, mind of what garnishing is. When you adorn something, you put something together to a point where it looks like it goes together, it fits, you make it attractive, you make it look well. Uh, and so here, the, the, the image that we see about the Spirit of God is that He was involved in the creation of the world and in fact was more than likely part of the ordering of it. Kind of goes back to what we talked about a minute ago about the ordering of, of the Spirit. And if you look throughout these different dispensations of time that we've already discussed, you'll see the idea that the, the Spirit is involved in kind of keeping things together. It becomes the glue almost uh, of keeping the concepts and the Word accurately conveyed to men and, and, and it becomes the strength that undergirds uh, prophets and judges and, and all these people. Uh, so the idea of the, the, the Holy Spirit being, though, being involved in the ordering or the, uh, the finishing or the organizing of God's creation I think is accurately conveyed in the scriptures where the Spirit is involved in the creation the Spirit is involved in the, the making of things, and you see it also over in uh, Psalm chapter 104, verse 30, uh, that the Spirit is involved in this creation aspect. Uh, it's one of the works that He performed in the Old Testament. You see, secondly, that the, the Spirit protected Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 is a common verse, and, and also 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 are both verses that kind of talk about the Spirit and His involvement uh, in, in the past with regard to Scriptures. And how important it was for 
uh, the scripture to be uh, imparted by the Spirit. And if you look over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, and, and 16 is a specific scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. There is a protection there by God for the scriptures. How else would we be able to rely upon the scriptures to be profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction? And over in 1, Tim 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 Peter says there, in verse 21, uh, we'll start in verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him the glory, so your faith and hope are in God. And so the concept uh, here with regard is to the scriptures and the fact that those things are preserved. And I'm not sure that's a, I'm looking at First Peter, I'm sorry, I know that didn't sound right. Um, 2 Peter 1.21 Starting in verse 20, but know this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so that, that word there, moved by the Holy Spirit, I have in my Bible written in there, born along by, because that's the technical translation of the word that's used there for the inspired idea. The idea that, that the, the Spirit moved, they, they born along, they kind of pulled, they, they grasped, he, he, he made sure that those words being conveyed by God were accurately inspired to the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament. More specifically here, when you think about the prophecies uh, referred to probably in 2 Peter, the idea that the Spirit there protected Scripture to make sure that the authorship of God's revealed will to man was going to be proper. The idea of superintending is there. This idea that the, the, the Spirit oversaw those things and maintained the purity and the security of the Word. Thirdly, the Spirit revealed the unknowable in the Scripture. Genesis chapter 41, Daniel chapter 2, you're going to see the revelation by the Spirit included different kingdoms, different nations, natural calamities, and even future events about the Messiah. There was a revelation that was given by the Spirit with regard to those things which man could not know about. And the Spirit allowed men to see these things more accurately, allowed the men to be able to convey these things to those people who were under their control. He allowed the, the Spirit, allowed Men who were leaders to know what they should do to be better prepared. Uh, you see that throughout the scriptures that the Spirit came upon individuals in ways that allowed them to know those things which would otherwise be unknowable. And he revealed future events even about the Messiah as we see over in Isaiah chapter 61 and even in Luke chapter 4 when the Spirit allowed men to see those things which otherwise they would not know. And so the Spirit in the Old Testament uh, as you think about this, uh, revealed the unknowable. Fourth, the Holy Spirit guided speakers. It wasn't just the revelation that he allowed, but the, the, the Spirit also helped allow speakers to be guided into those things which were truthful, those things which were correct, those things which were right, and those things which God wanted them to be uh, pushed toward. And so the Spirit would be the one that would be involved very specifically in uh, making sure that those speakers were guided in the paths that God wanted them, those paths of righteousness, and those paths which would ultimately lead to uh, you know, what God's will had determined. If you look in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, David here, as he is concluding his life and his rule there over the people, he said that um, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. 
And so there was an idea there, the concept where David had an acknowledgement, a recognition that those things which he spoke were actually given to him by God, were guided by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God moved him to say those things which were supposed to be said. And so in the Old Testament, you see that he guided directly the speakers. And fifthly, uh, what you see is, fifth, fifthly is a word, right? Uh, fifthly, he enabled, he enabled talents. Now, you think about the scriptures, uh, there are a lot of different things that you can kind of look to with regard to uh, the Spirit's actions and those things which he performed and did uh, there in the scriptures. Uh, there's obviously some uh, references made by, uh, in, to the Spirit on several different fronts with regard to his involvement in enabling certain people to do certain things that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have been able to. Or maybe they had that ability, they just weren't utilizing it. You know, they may be like Moses, you know, were very uh, timid and thinking they could not do something. So instead of utilizing that talent, you know, they just kind of held it back. They did not use it and do the things they were actually capable of because of fear or timidity, whatever it may be. If you look in Exodus chapter 31 verses 1 through 5, you see there um, an idea of the Spirit of God uh, being filled with, uh, Moses being filled with the, Holy, with the Spirit of God. And so you'll see there verse... Uh, Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in cutting of stones for settings and the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Now, not Moses, by the way, it's this other guy, um, Bezalel, the son of Uri. I'll just call him the son of Uri. Uri's son was actually given the Spirit of God here in and what. What God says is I've given this, my spirit to him so that he will be able to fashion and form these things which are necessary, these things which will be part of uh, the things that I've commanded to be a part of uh, your building and the, the commandments uh, to Israel. And so here you see God actually enabling, using his spirit, certain people who had um, these abilities uh, to be able to fulfill things and do certain things. Um, you see other uh, passages, 1 Samuel chapter 10, I'm about to run out of time, of course. What's new? 1 Samuel 10, verse 10. When they came up to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so that he prophesied among them. And so here you see the idea that um, here was a, uh, uh, an instance where Saul, I believe it was Saul, yeah. Saul was given this ability through the Spirit of God to prophesy, something that he ordinarily would not have done. Uh, there's not many times when Saul prophesied, but here you see the Spirit of God came upon him so that he prophesied among them there in verse 10. And so an example of God enabling talents by using his spirit there with man, being able to give them certain aid and to allow the duties and abilities to come through so they can accomplish the things which God had wanted. You see also uh, here in the sixth, sixth way, that he strengthened leaders. I think we see this probably more than anything in the Old Testament. When we think about the Spirit of God coming upon a man, uh, we think of instances like in the Judges where Samson, you know, was the Spirit of the Lord, came upon Samson, and he had this miraculous strength at the end of his life to be able to take down the temple. Well, the Spirit was involved there. He strengthened, physically strengthened, the leaders there to be able to accomplish great things. In order to finish this great lesson, we're going to pick it up next week. 
we'll pick up this lesson, but also hopefully transition into the Holy Spirit and the New Testament. So please look at those uh, suggested verses on the back of your handout. Read those in the New Testament so we'll be ready and our minds will be prepared for our lesson next week. Thank you so much.